Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome back to our Sunday morning Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible class posted every Sunday morning at 9.30 on podcast. For all of those who cannot be with us at the building, the church building at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ, and also those who are listening in other parts of the country and literally around the world. As I've been saying, we're thankful to have the opportunity, the ability, and the means to be able to teach God's Word on such a widespread basis through the medium of the internet, through these podcasts. We're thankful for people listening all over the world, and we pray that God's Word is getting across to people and that it's helping people with guidance and encouragement and instruction in their lives as they try to have a more spiritual outlook than maybe a whole lot of people are having right now. A lot of people are focusing on physical things, material things, but we need to recognize that the most important part of our life, and that part that ought to be governing and guiding every other part of our life, is our spiritual lives. So we're thankful to be able to teach God's Word through these podcasts and the internet all over the world. We're thankful for you being there listening, and we pray that it's helping you and that God is being glorified. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come by and visit with us, study, worship with us, grow spiritually with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street in Omaha. And our Sunday morning Bible class begins at 930 every Sunday morning, followed by worship at 10.30. And we have midweek Bible classes every Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. You're welcome to any and all of these services. Now, we also encourage you, as you listen to these studies each week, that you share them with everybody you can. You can do that through Facebook friends, text messages, maybe other technological means, but help somebody else get into God's Word. Help somebody else probably some within your own family, get a different focus on the direction of their life right now. Help them to start to think about their relationship with God, about their souls, about eternity, because it's coming. Share these studies with your family members, your friends, your work associates, your neighbors, with literally everybody you can. What a great blessing for them to have their thinking, their focus turned around and ultimately Through getting into God's word, they end up in heaven. But that will also be a great blessing for you. So help them along that line. Share these studies with them. We also encourage you to encourage everybody you can to go to our website at churchofchrist.com. Churchofchrist.com. Scroll down the homepage to the podcast button. Click on that and sign up for our podcasting. It is free. It will always be free. We're not after people's wallets. We want to help people come close to God and get to heaven. When they sign up for our podcasting, they will automatically receive to their smart device, whichever one they choose, their smartphone, computer, laptop, pad, tablet, whatever. Automatically, they will receive our Sunday morning Bible class, all of our sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible class, along with a great seven-day-a-week short about a 13-minute Bible study every day. It's just a short time, but it gets us into God's Word every day. And then also they will receive our Monday through Friday radio program, Search the Scriptures. While they're at our website, they can also access hundreds of sermons 
more and more are being posted in video format as well as audio format and they can access also download read and study through literally hundreds of articles that are scripturally based and spiritually focused all of that is for free and always will be for free so tell everybody you can and take advantage of the opportunity yourself tremendous bible study resources available and they're right there for the use of anybody who wants to take advantage of them. We're going to get back into our study from the book of Exodus. We are moving right along. We are going to begin with chapter 17 today. And this is a really excellent historical perspective Bible study. This covers the period of not only, we began with the book of Genesis, not only the early history of mankind, but also God's developing the bloodline that ultimately would lead to the, to the uh, growth of the nation of Israel through whose bloodline the Savior, Jesus Christ, would come into the world and bring the gospel of salvation, the gospel message of salvation to all mankind, to everybody throughout the world. Well, we're in that particular part of our study in Exodus where God has sent Moses to lead the nation of Israel or the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. They have been in Egypt for about 400, 450 years. They have grown from one family basically into a nation of probably about one to three million people now over those 400, 450 years. And they are they have been put into a slavery kind of relationship uh, through the government of Egypt because the Pharaoh that had come into power during that particular time feared that so many people from a foreign or that were actually foreign to the people of Egypt that they might somehow become a threat to them. And so he put them in subjection, made slaves out of them, put them into servitude kinds of labor and uh, they, the people cried out to God, prayed to him for deliverance. God sent Moses and Moses' brother Aaron to lead them out of Egypt and ultimately lead them to the land that God had promised to their forefathers, beginning with Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, uh, bringing them to that land that would be the promised land that had they had been taught, taught about for hundreds of years, and ultimately God would lead them there, and that would become the national geography or geographic boundary that would become the nation of Israel. Well, but these people had never been an independent nation uh, in and of themselves before. They were a large population, again, probably one to three million or so in number, but they had always lived. Now remember, they came simply as one family, the family of Jacob. And so they had, and that was less than 100 people. And over those next 400 or 450 years, they always lived in and they grew in the boundaries of the nation of Egypt. So they had never known their own nationality as a nation in and of themselves. But God was ready to lead them to become that nation, the nation of Israel. Well, they were struggling. Now, they were certainly uh, rejoicing when 
God had, through ten plagues, basically broken down Pharaoh, and Pharaoh told them, leave. But then Pharaoh pursued them with his army after he thought things over for a while. But God opened up the Red Sea and led the nation of the people of Israel across the Red Sea on dry ground. When Pharaoh's army pursued them into that sea, God closed the waters up over, over them and destroyed that army, basically. They rejoiced again, but now they're in the wilderness. Whenever you have a large group of people together moving in some particular area, doesn't matter where it is on earth, they're going to have to have water, they're going to have to have food. Well, they did not go very far after God had led them, delivered them across the Red Sea and was leading them through Moses to Mount Sinai where they would worship God and God would ultimately give them his law. They, they needed water, they needed food. And so they began murmuring, complaining. In chapter 16, we saw how they were complaining that they were running out of food. And so God provided, I, I believe we're to understand miraculously, meat for them in the evening and bread for them in the morning. Manna would appear on the ground every morning and they could get enough to feed them, to serve them through that day. Now, and they were instructed very specifically, only take what you can use during the day. It will not last if you take extra. And some of them did not heed that particular instruction. They tried to gather extra, and it spoiled overnight. Well, they needed to follow God's instruction, and God would bring, uh, would bring uh, meat into the camp, quail, they would come in in the evening, and so they would have meat in the evening, they would have bread in the morning, and so God was feeding them in a miraculous way. Now, then we come to chapter 17, and we find that, okay, they've got food, but they also need water. We might say that a person can go, oh, maybe a week, maybe push it to two weeks or so without food and will still be alive. But they can't go very long without food. We've got to eat. That sustains our physical body. But we can go only a few days without water before things will start to shut down. Our organs will start to shut down and we'll die physically. So they need water. I remember have something of a uh, Civil War history buff, and I, I, I remember reading about how the armies of both the South and the North, when they would move through an area, they would basically, to a great extent, devastate the land because they would have to forage for food. Now, that would mean they would go into the fields of the farmers. They would, they would find anything edible wherever they could and, and on as widespread a basis as they could. They would probably kill wild animals for meat, and that would go on when they would move through. And you're talking about, in that case, you're talking about maybe 20 or 30 or 40 or 50,000 uh, men running, you know, moving through those camps and, and trekking from one area to another to, to get ready for whatever the next stage of the war would be for them, well, they would just devastate an area. It takes a lot of food to feed 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 men. 
And that would be the case on both sides. And so as they would move through an area, that area would be, as far as the food supply was concerned, to a great extent, pretty well devastated. Well, think about a million to three million people moving through any area. How do you find food for that many people? Where do you find water? Now, you can, again, last for a little while without physical food, but you can't last very many days without water. And so, first, we saw the necessity of the food in chapter 16, and then in chapter 17, we come to the point where the need of water becomes a very real situation. So beginning with verse 1 in chapter 17, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped, and, and camped in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Well, you've got a million to, 300, uh, a million to three million people. You're going to need a lot of water. You're going to need a very good and consistent water source for all of those people. Now, we would say today, okay, find a river, maybe find a stream that is wide and deep that will continue to flow, or maybe start digging wells. How many wells would you need, though, to supply enough water on a continuing basis for one to three million people? You need a really good, consistent water source. And so the people... In verse 2, it says, Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? Now, if we go back to the beginning of chapter 16, we see the same kind of attitude on the part and behavior on the part of many of the people of Israel when it came to their perceived need for food. Chapter 16, verse 1, they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, and on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now I talked about how human beings can be so fickle. They prayed to God. They prayed to God, asking God for deliverance from the oppression that they were suffering under at the hands of Pharaoh in Egypt. And God sent Moses and his brother Aaron to deliver them from that bondage, to lead them to the promised land, to basically get them starting to mold and shape into a nation of their own. Did not go very far. Less than a couple months, it would seem, before they started complaining, ah, we're running out of food. Well, again, how much food can people carry with them on such a journey and that food last and still be good, still be pure, basically. Well, they were running out of food. Now, what did they do? It doesn't, it doesn't 
the text does not indicate that they took a responsible kind of uh, attitude and and step toward finding sufficient food. They started complaining to Moses. We wish God had just killed us back in Egypt. There we had plenty to eat. Now, had they forgotten that they were under oppression, that they were suffering, that their male children being born were being killed as a means of of population control through the decree of Pharaoh himself? Have they forgotten all of that? They were having to do uh, the servitude kind of labor to satisfy the Egyptian government, not working for themselves, but working for the government, doing what they made them do. And their oppression was so severe that they were continually praying to God for deliverance. And God did that for them. God even destroyed the army of Egypt, pursuing them into the Red Sea. Well, they're hungry now, or at least they were in danger of getting hungry. And now they were complaining. Wish we just died back there. Fickle. Well, here in chapter 17, they're running short on water. They come to another area and there's no water there. And so now they're complaining to Moses again. But Moses points out, you're not really contending with me. You're contending with the Lord. You're tempting God. God's been delivering you. God's been taking care of you. Look at the food you've got. The meat in the evening, the bread in the morning. And now you're complaining about water. Where's your faith, basically? It, it is the message that he's getting across to them. In the verse 3 in chapter 17, And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Oh, they were rejoicing just a few weeks ago, rejoicing that God had delivered them through Moses from their bondage in Egypt. Well, then they got hungry, and so they complained. Why didn't, you, why didn't God just kill us all back in Egypt? We had plenty of food back there. Now God has provided food for them. Now they're thirsty, and why is it you have brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Fickle again, aren't they? Have they forgotten the blessings that God had already bestowed upon them so abundantly? Had they forgotten the power of God to bring Pharaoh to his knees and basically the, the land of Egypt to their knees? And Moses demonstrating the power of God in numerous ways, bringing the plagues upon Egypt, but sparing most of the time the people of Israel living within the boundaries of Egypt? Well, how easy it is to forget, how easy it is to get caught up in the immediate, whatever we might consider, the need, the crisis of the moment, and forget how God has taken care of us throughout our lives. In verse 4, so Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Now, was Moses overreacting here, at least to some extent? Did the people really, were they threatening Moses physically? Maybe, maybe. 
Now, maybe he was overreacting to some extent, but he apparently realized a real threat to him. The people in his mind were becoming hostile. The devil will use all kinds of means to try to pull us away from God, to try to break down our faith. He does not have to make us atheists. He just has to lead us to become unfaithful, uh, uncommitted to God. And so here, the people are thirsting for water, and apparently they're threatening, or at least Moses perceives physical threat from them against him. Verse 5, the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Now, of course, the rod that God was telling Moses to use in bringing various plagues upon Egypt and, uh, and also doing performing various miracles before Pharaoh and the people of Israel, that was simply a rod. God was simply using that as a symbol of his power. And so he tells Moses, take that rod with you and, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, and the people that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now, a lot of people, I think, forget, or else they don't know about this particular account of God telling Moses to strike the rock, and God would cause the water to come forth, and the people would have enough water to drink on an ongoing basis. People remember when God punished Moses for striking a different rock at a different time and bringing forth water. Now, God brought forth the water, but Moses took the glory for himself. But in this particular case, and in that second case, God told Moses to speak to the rock. And God brought forth the water nonetheless, but Moses took glory for himself and struck the rock and, and, and as if he was bringing forth the water himself. Here, God told Moses, strike the rock. Now, in both cases, it would be God who would bring forth the water, but God gave Moses very specific instructions as to, if, if you want to call it visual aid or visual lessons before the people, it would always be God who would bring forth the miracle. In this case, miraculously bringing forth water from the rock. But Moses had to follow God's instruction, and he would be that human symbol of God's power. The, the, the staff the wooden staff in Moses' hand would be a physical symbol of the power of God. So, strike, in verse 5, the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, take in your hand the rod which, with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah 
because of the because of the contention of the people uh, the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying is the Lord among us or not is God still there is, is seems to be what they were saying is he still with us well of course he was still with them of course they were being contentious at this time and they were losing or at least letting their faith be weakened in God and wondering, is he still here? Well, of course he was still there. He was still watching over them. And here he delivered them in another way. Verse 8, now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Amalek, the Amalekites, another people. Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. So they do not go very far into the wilderness. First, they need food. God provides that for them. Then, a little while later, they need water. God provides that for them. Now, they're facing, and could we say the devil is behind this conflict? Well, the devil is behind all evil. And so now, a foreign nation or a foreign people are attacking them, and they are in full-fledged battle, military conflict. So Moses, he's standing up on the hill, and, and again, uh, when Moses would hold up his hand, that Israel prevailed. The Israelites would, would be the victors, or they would, they would be making headway and becoming victorious. They were the ones who were winning the battle. When Moses would let down his hand, and you might say, well, why would he let down his hand? Have you ever tried to hold your hands up for a prolonged period of time? Stretched out? The staff of Moses probably in his hand, in one hand. Have you ever tried to hold anything out, straight out from your body, your arms up for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes? Well, this battle would have gone on for hours and hours. As long as Moses would hold up his hand, then Israel prevailed in the battle. They were being victorious. When his arms would tire and his, uh, he would have to let them down to let them rest a while, the battle would start to turn to the Amalekites and they would begin to prevail. Verse 12, when Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Okay, now it's not just the idea of holding out your hands, the staff in his hand, and that would add to the weight and the stress of holding his hands out, his arms out, but now it's standing up doing that for hours. So they put a stone under him so Moses could sit down and still hold his, his arms out, his hands out. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands. So now here's the image He's just having a hard time keeping his hands up. As long as he does that, God is giving victory to the Israelites. 
when his arms tire and he has to lower them and rest a bit, the Amalekites start to prevail in the battle. And so first they put a rock under him so he can sit on that, relieve the stress of having to stand up all the time. And now two men, Aaron and Hur, Aaron being Moses' brother and Hur, they support his arms so that he can still hold them out without having to provide all of the energy and the strength himself. So they're holding his arms up. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So for the rest of the day, they were holding his arms up so he could hold them out. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. What a battle that must have been. You know, we're not talking about warplanes flying overhead and dropping bombs or, or sending missiles. We're not talking about lines of soldiers on both sides from a long distance firing cannon, firing missiles, shooting over hundreds of yards in distance. We're talking about bloody, physical, brutal hand-to-hand -hand conflict, sword to sword. Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Why did Amalek, why did the Amalekites attack the Israelites? It's left to conjecture. We don't know. Maybe they simply saw here are a whole bunch of people who would be easy prey. We can kill a bunch of them. We can put, make them slaves, the survivors slaves. We can steal their stuff, and we can enrich ourselves by defeating them in battle. Well, it didn't work out that way, did it? God intervened again. He delivered his people again. And now God is making a prophecy I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Hundreds of years later, God would instruct through Samuel, his prophet, King Saul, to go out and do exactly that, to utterly destroy the Amalekites. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is My Banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. The Amalekites would be an enemy of the Israelites for hundreds of years to come. But again, God is the ultimate deliverer. We'll move on to chapter 18 next time. Let's stop and pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for loving us so much. We thank you for being the power that we need to sustain our lives and sustain us in life, but not just physically and in this world. We thank you, Father, for blessing us with the opportunity to come to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, for eternal life with you in heaven. Please guide us, help us to stay true to you to keep our faith and to be faithful and consistent for the rest of our lives in this world and enjoy 
the bliss of heaven with you for all of eternity. Help people to see their need to come to you for this eternal blessing, Father. And help us to be the shining lights of Christianity to help them see your will in our lives. Please forgive us, gracious Father. Please forgive us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.